Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hello and welcome to episode 119 of the Maker Mom podcast. This week's guest is Sarah of Morning Glory Woodshop. Sarah's a teacher, a mom, a woodworker uh, based in California, and uh, she really does all sorts of woodworking and and all sorts of making and had just a fabulous conversation with her. So I know you're going to enjoy this interview as much as I did, Uh, but before we hop on into chatting with Sarah, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon, so thank you so much. Kevin, Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Christina B, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Lauren, Rasp File Designs, Sven, Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaim Living Store, Brandy, Studio, Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your ongoing and continued support, helping me to produce two episodes a week, every week. And with no further ado, here is Sarah. Um, I'm Sarah Michaels, and I am a teacher, a mom, and a woodworker in Santa Cruz, California. And I make other stuff too. I would say I'm probably just a maker all around, but woodworking is my passion. Awesome. Uh, before we get into the woodworking aspect, uh, let's talk a little bit about where did you grow up and what were you interested in as a kid? Um, I grew up in Southern California, LA County, but like the outskirts, not actual LA. So um, mainly in Claremont and Covina. And when I was a kid, I was an athlete. And so growing up, I thought that was my identity, whereas now that has transitioned more into like a maker identity. When I was young, it was more the athlete identity. But when I look back now, I realize that what I was into when I was not playing sports was making. Like I was telling a story to my husband the other day that I would carve branches in my backyard to play games with them and I would build little fairy houses out of stones and so it's funny now looking back seeing a part of myself I didn't even know was there at the time awesome um that's that's pretty cool what so what kind of sports were you uh did you play growing up um mainly softball and soccer and I did volleyball for a while there was a tennis moment in there (laughs) um I played water polo in high school that's interesting that's not a sport that's really common throughout uh all of the U.S. um (laughs) no it was very southern California specific I think and because it was the women's team and we shared a pool with the men's team 
we had to play in the winter. <laughs> oh. And so that's, that's very California specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't do that uh, where I am located uh, for sure. Um, you'd have no water in the pool in the right. winter time. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so what about, um, I guess, the making aspect? Did that continue into like when you are in high school and stuff? Were you interested in art or anything like that? Um, I always was interested in art, but I was always convinced I was not an artist. Um, like I would have a painting class or something just in school. Mm-hmm. And I could never quite get into it the way I would have liked to. But I remember so vividly taking the high school aptitude test. Um, And it told me I should do something with my hands. (laughs) And again, at that point in my life, I was like, that doesn't make sense. I remember looking through the list of options under that category and seeing one that was worm farmer. (laughs) I was like, that doesn't... That doesn't compute for me as right. someone who was also really into like literature and brain stuff. And so I think that really in terms of my evolution, I thought I was an athlete and then I thought I was a brain. And now it's, it's only as an adult where the maker part has come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what did you do after high school? Um, I got a bachelor's in literature at UC Santa Cruz. And then I got a master's in English with a focus on teaching English to speakers of other languages. And then I was sort of hustling being an adjunct at all kinds of different Mm. colleges in the Bay Area because we're really saturated with teachers up here. And then I got another master's in linguistics at the University of Colorado. And um, I, I love that part of myself. It's also a very serious, more high stakes part of myself and so I honestly think that was kind of the birth of my making was wanting to find something that felt more in my body and less in my brain and even though obviously as you know as a maker a lot of it's in your brain too right Right. planning and problem solving and everything else but something that felt more low stakes and more like play for me Mm mm-hmm and you did, you said in your intro, you're a teacher. What do you, mm-hmm. what do you teach? I teach writing at UC Santa Cruz. Okay. Yeah. And so we, we talk a lot about um, not just how to write in the traditional sense of like writing well, but how to um, interpret the situation you're writing in and mm-hmm. make conscious choices about um, your composition and your communication and all that sort of good stuff. Sounds like a very serious topic. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, it's one of those topics where it could go either way, though, right? You can play with it, too. Right. But it also is super cognitively dense. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. My uh, roommate in in college um, was an English major. And I was manufacturing technology was my, what I got my degree in. And I remember just like, our homework looked very different, right? Like I'm coming in with things that I've like made in the shop on campus and like 
of course I there was textbooks and stuff that I had to go through as well but like just watching her night after night either like reading book after book or writing you know 20 page papers and stuff like that and I was just like I I just don't get it like I don't get how that is like anything that anybody ever would want to do um right I totally get that and I and I think that's why the making fits in so well for me is because I need both yeah right I need more balance so what did you start when you were bringing kind of that making side in like what where did you start at what were things you were starting to make Um, Well, when my husband and I bought the house that we live in now in Santa Cruz, um, we have a daughter. She's about to turn eight, but at the time she was three, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, We bought this house and in the house, uh, in her bedroom, there was essentially a secret room. It was basically a large closet, not like a Mm walk-in, but a large-ish closet. Um, but the previous owner was a ham radio enthusiast. And so he had, uh, it was bare inside except for one shelf, like at desk level. And it was painted really dark. And it had one of those swing doors that was made Mm -hmm. to look like a built-in shelf. So you go in the room and it doesn't look like it has a closet. And then you pull on the shelf and it comes out. It's like very Bruce Wayne (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) And Um, that's not particularly functional for Mm -hmm. um, a more family-oriented room and my kid wasn't old enough to where she actually needed a clothes closet yet and so I thought to myself what could I do to this to make it a more functional space but function in the way we need it to Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like a closet which we didn't really need at the time and so I decided to turn it into a play area with a lofted platform Mm -hmm. sort of like bed size Mm -hmm. right but not for sleeping in just for playing in and then we could store her toys underneath Um, and I put up fairy lights and everything but in retrospect it was such a disaster (laughs) Um, at the time I was very proud of myself because it was a make it work kind of moment I had Mm -hmm. no experience I had no tools Um, I think I cut everything with a sawzall (laughs) because it was the only thing I had access to. And so all my cuts were just outrageously inaccurate, but it ended up working and it worked the way we needed it to work at the time. I've since disassembled it and turned it into like a nicely built out closet. Cause now that she's almost eight, that's more necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I did that, I realized that even if it was super imperfect, it, it filled that need in me to have this creative outlet and this aspect of play and also creating something functional because I'm, I'm such a practical person. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not great at spending time on something that's not going to have a concrete outcome. And so doing something where I actually have a physical manifestation of my work, I find really satisfying. And so once I had that moment, I, I just went from there. Mm-hmm. Did you realize before that space that you had a need for that physical creative outlet? I knew I had a need for something. I don't think I knew what it was. I think that 
Um, I knew I needed more balance in my life from the living in my brain that you sometimes do as a professor. And I knew that I needed something low stakes um, because everything like parenting is pressure, right? <laughs> Teaching is pressure. Um, so I knew I needed something. Mm -hmm. And I knew I liked to use my body in that way because of my history as an athlete. And I think I never would have, I never would have anticipated that it would turn into making, even though, like I said before, in retrospect, mm -hmm. I could have, I don't think I would have. Um, and so I, and I don't think I would have done it earlier in life either. I think it was a particular moment in my life where I was ready to try something new. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, <clears throat> when you said like, you know, the being in your body type, like an athlete, I guess, did you attempt to turn to sport or physical activity before finding the making? Totally. I have, I have been on a couple adult rec league softball teams and um, I did it once in Colorado and it didn't quite work out for me, but I'm on a team here in Santa Cruz. And it's been wonderful. <laughs> it's a big part of my life to be on this team. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's a nice aspect too. Okay. Um, but it was also, it, I've always been on team sports. And so mm -hmm. there's that group aspect to it. And there's something about my making that is more independent and individual that scratches a different itch. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's something about being in my own head and having just my vision and making it come to life and you know those moments when it's not maybe not going the way we plan and we have to pivot and try something else um doing that independently is exciting for me because it it means that I have I have more opportunities for being creative in a way that appeals to just me because being on a team and being a parent and being a partner and being a teacher all of those things rely on other people right? They're all group activities, mm -hmm. <laughs> at least between two or more people, right? Right. And so it's one of the only things that I think I've found that can be just between me and myself. Mm -hmm. And I love that for it. Hi, makers. Today's episode is brought to you by toolmomstore.com. Toolmom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, the products are fun, fashionable, one of a kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it. It says, go girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at a checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. I think, um, honestly, that's why a lot of, um, I'll say, you know, since, since this podcast is kind of centered around moms, but I think a lot of that is why moms do gravitate towards um, making is because it's like that time where it's like you can 
uh, encompass all of yourself without <laughs> needing to give any of that energy off to anybody else or have to be a certain way depending on who's sharing that space with you. I 100% agree because I do some of my stuff with my daughter um, mainly when she wants to do a creative activity she wants to do woodworking with me like mm -hmm. we built a little throne for one of her stuffed animals because she wanted to we built like, a dragon cage for some mm -hmm. of her toys but that's I let her lead those moments I don't even see those quite as woodworking because right. it's not that same mental space yeah yeah I've had some opportunity for me go ahead I say, I say I've had similar experiences recently with my daughter as well. She's decided she really loves uh, trying to make a miniature house and like oh, the wow. furniture in it, you know, and most of it when we are making together is still cardboard or whatever. But like even mm -hmm. when I've like decided like, oh, I've got some small scraps at the shop, I can make, you know, a small piece for her. Um it's definitely different. I mean, it's, it's fun in its own way, just because it's a moment to like share with her and get creative with her. And it's fun to see, but it's totally her driving it, right? Her vision, her yeah, everything. So I totally. And that's that. something I had to learn too, because at first when she was like, let's make this thing, I would of course have my own vision in my mind. <laughs> and then every little thing that she would want to do, I was like, oh, cringe. <laughs> But then when I realized I just had to recategorize it as a different activity entirely, it ended up being something really great that we can do together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, so from that first like closet makeover um, and a Salzal for all of your cuts, <laughs> how did you kind of catapult off of that into, into more? Um, I think in a way, my my academic side took over because I was like, I want to keep doing this and I don't know where to start, but I'm really good at following directions. <laughs> and so I did what I think a lot of people probably do, which is I went to some of these, um, some of these makers like Anna White and stuff like that. And I did a lot of YouTube watching and I bought a, a miter saw. And I think the second thing I made might be the outdoor sectional sofa that still lives in my backyard. That's and a pretty big jump from... Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty representative of me. Once I make up my mind to do something, I do it like 4,000%. <laughs> and it has lots of issues too. Like there are places where I split the wood where I totally would know better now. And every time I look at it, there's, I have two reactions really. I have the reaction of, oh gosh, that could be better. But then my other reaction is, I, I did that without having really put that pressure on myself beforehand. Like I just said, yes, and I went for it. And we use it every single day um, because living in a small house, it means we have an outdoor space. Mm -hmm. And so that was another thing where I was reminded that even if it's not perfect, it's really satisfying and it's really functional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you were just talking about though a little bit with your, like your daughter's projects and like learning to let go since that project with the sectional, like, I mean, as you're diving more into woodworking, do you find yourself 
bringing in more of that like perfectionist aspect? Oh, it's always there. Absolutely. Um, I think I've gotten better though at recognizing that voice in, in myself and saying, thank you very much. I hear you. I'm going to put you away now. <laughs> um, and that's one of the things that does pop up once I've made something. Like I've made some pieces of furniture in our house that I'm really, really proud of. But like, for example, I made this beautiful bedside table out of ash a few years back. Um, and I, it sits next to my side of the bed. And so I see it every morning and every night. And every morning and every night, I'm like, Ooh, those half laps could be tighter. <laughs> but then the good news is that what comes from that is not, oh, you messed up. What comes mm -hmm. from it is, oh, I should really get in the wood shop and practice that. And that becomes more of an excitement sort mm -hmm. of driving force because of the low stakes nature of it. Like if it was something that really, really mattered, it would feel more like a stressor. But this is like, oh, I just have more projects to work on now. I just have more to learn, more excitement, more play. Yeah, I think I've learned in my own way, A, there will never be, at least for me, a project that comes out perfect, ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sam, I something, <laughs> something always is like, you know, there's always some aspect of something that I've made that I look at and I'm like, I could have done that better, you know, type thing. But then also on the flip side, I think maybe something you're hitting on is like, I have too like a progression of things in my own home from, you know, the very first thing I made to the most recent thing I made. And I can look at it and just be like, but I've grown so much. Like there's been so much more that I've learned and taken on and, and what I'm into doing has totally morphed from the very first project uh, that I made. And so I, I have, I think what woodworking has taught me, who is also a pro self-proclaimed perfectionist, is that like, I can be proud with the imperfect. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's all about progress. And being a mom, I see all those things that my daughter is, is learning and improving at over time. And I'm so good at being her cheerleader and praising her patience and mm -hmm. her hard work and that kind of thing, um, as opposed to praising the final product. Yes. <laughs> right? Like yep. I make a really conscious effort to do that. Instead of saying, wow, that's really good. I say, wow, you, you must have worked really hard on that. That must mm -hmm. have taken a long time. I appreciate your patience, that sort of thing. And I found that with woodworking, I am learning to do the same thing for myself. Mm -hmm. um, where, like I mentioned before about making pivots, there's I don't know about for you, but there are always pivots for my projects every single time. Yep. Um, not, not always because I've messed up, though often that is the case. Um, but sometimes just because something else seems like a better choice. Mm -hmm. And I've found this, this new way of, of enjoying the progress and um, giving myself feedback about more process-related things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a big, important part of why I keep doing it, mm -hmm. 
right? Because if I got too much in my perfectionist mind, I would never be satisfied with it. Whereas now I'm like, oh man, that that was a really difficult angle for me to calculate, for example, mm -hmm. but it stands. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, I think that pressure piece you're speaking to as well, I, I, I guess I should ask, do you only make for like yourself, your home, your friends, your family, or do you also uh, make like make customer pieces? Now I just make for myself and my loved ones. Um, there was a time when I was starting out, like kind of in that period of time where I was finally able to make things well enough to um, sell them. But when I started doing that, uh, well, let me back up. So when I got to that point in my skills where it was saleable things, um, I got a lot of people asking me to sell them things and asking me to make them custom things. And at first they said yes. And that was fun for a little while because it meant that I had an endless amount of project ideas because people were giving me project ideas and I would do it and it was fine. But then very quickly, I started feeling the joy get sucked out of it little by little. Mm -hmm. um, in part because it wasn't low stakes anymore. It yeah. felt much more high stakes. Um, I felt my perfectionist voice coming back pretty strongly. Um, I really didn't like having to have conversations about what my work is worth. Mm -hmm. um, all of that started to feel more like the kind of work that I already had filled up that space in my mind for, right? Like I, I already have a full-time job and that being a full-time job or even a part-time job, a job at all, it felt like something that was all, that space was already taken. Mm-hmm. And the creative space, the low stakes space is what I needed. So being able to hit a point where I'm like, the joy's not in this anymore and shift back to just letting it be a hobby felt really liberating. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to say no when somebody wants to pay you for your art. Like that's a, that was a really strange thing to juggle in my mind because that is such a privilege. Right. And I thought I need to take advantage of that privilege. But I realized really quickly that that was not going to be sustainable for me in terms mm -hmm. of it wanting to continue. That that definitely resonates a lot with me. I, I asked specifically because um, I was curious about that pressure piece, um, because I find that the pieces that I have made that I dislike the most have been for somebody else. And I think the reason being, and that's even pieces that they gave me absolute creative freedom on. Um, yeah. And I think the reason is, is because I continue to ask, will they like this as I worked versus going after a vision in my own head and something that I would be happy with to create on my own. Right. And it's like what we talked about before, where it's 
making can be this independent thing. And when Mm -hmm. you bring in other people, it becomes a collaboration, it becomes a team sport, it becomes a relationship. And that really changes it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And that's not to say, you know, anybody I've made pieces for has been happy with their results, but I have not, (laughs) I have not been happy with it because I I see it as something like, I don't know if I would create that again. Like, I don't know if that's really the direction I would have taken that. Um, So, yeah, you know, it's just, it's an interesting thing. And especially since that is personally, that is something I'm actually still striving to do. Uh, but I'm hoping to get to a point of it's like, I make an artwork and it is complete freedom and I'm okay mm-hmm. with like, but working with customers is, is hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, people, people say they like your work until you're like, okay, here it is. And then they're like, oh, I wanted a different color. Well, you should have told me that at the start. <laughs> right. <laughs> makers i want to tell you a little bit about today's episode's sponsor athena outfitters so when i'm in the market for a new pair of work boots i do a ton of research make sure i'm getting something that's going to fit right and going to last well athena outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that has a tons of experience with footwear They've taken the time to select the very best shoes and boots made by each of the most reliable footwear brands. And when I shop at Athena Outfitters site, it saves me time and energy because I trust that they found the best shoes for every job and activity. Plus bonus, you can shop online. So next time you need new work boots or some other type of high performance shoe, check out athenaoutfitters.com, gear with grit, and Athena is A-T-H-E-N-A, and then outfitters.com. You can also get a special discount at checkout by using the coupon code MM, that's capital M, capital M15 for 15% off any purchase just because you're a listener of the podcast. All right, let's hop back into the episode. Um... So when are you having, when are you working, I guess, on your, you know, woodworking stuff? That is a very good question during the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Before the pandemic, it used to be that um, because of my work schedule, I had to have my daughter in the after school program anyway. And so I would come home and sneak in an hour or two. Um, if I was able to get home from work on time before it was time to go pick her up. And so that was way more consistent. Um, Now, since she's been doing remote school for the last year, and I've been teaching at home for the last year, um, everything is more complicated, as I think everybody knows. (laughs) Um, But what that means is that I have to be much more assertive about when I piece out that time for myself. Because as I'm sure you know, when there is a child around, if you don't look busy, you are available in their <laughs> mind. <laughs> yes. Right? And even um, when you look busy, you're usually still available in their mind. Right? You're available 100% <laughs> of the time in their mind. Yes. <laughs> and so the fact that she can see what I'm doing, um, I've had to be more conscious of saying, 
I am not available for the next hour. Um, go to your dad instead or um, come get me only if it's really important. Um, and I put on my headphones so it blocks out whatever's going on because I don't know if this is just me or if this is just a, a parent thing or a mom thing, but if I hear even a whimper from like across the property, <laughs> like on the <laughs> other side of the house, if I hear that whimper, my mama bear comes out and it's like, what's going on? Must yes. check. <laughs> yeah, so I know. I, gotta... I, I don't know if you get this from, from your husband, but like, you know, for my wife, she'll just look over at me if we're in the same space and she'll be like, just ignore it. And time and time again, right. I have to tell her, I'm like, I, I can't. <laughs> like, it's physically it's impossible, physically impossible. <laughs> to just ignore it. <laughs> yes, 100%. He is gifted at doing that in a way that I am not. And so I really have to just decide that I am disappearing for X amount of time. And I need to say it to everybody around me because <laughs> I realize if I don't say it out loud too, it doesn't happen. Cause mm -hmm. like I can say it to myself, but then they're like coming to ask me questions and check on things. And so now I, I have to say stuff like I'm going in the wood shop um, I'm not available right now. And that doesn't always feel great. But once I'm doing the thing, it does feel great. Yeah. So I'm learning to <laughs> feel okay with it. <laughs> where, where is your wood shop space? It is in a one car garage we have in our backyard. Yeah, we have this strange little property that the history of it is that the two, there were two houses on one property mm -hmm. and a three car garage. And at some point they split the property. So they split also the three car garage so that I have one car's worth of it. <laughs> um, and so I've got a little one car garage that is situated in the backyard. And it's not all wood shop, even though I like to call it that. Um, it's about half or maybe a third family storage, like the stuff that you would usually find in a garage. Mm -hmm but it's all covered in sawdust <laughs> because um, I've claimed the rest of that space. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice to have because kind of related to what we were just saying when, when everybody's at home and you have to really conscientiously carve out the time. If I had to get in the car and go somewhere and spend extra time um, doing that, it would, I would be less and less likely to make it work. And so I count myself as very lucky to have this little one car garage because when we bought the house, I wasn't woodworking. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I have a space that I could turn into that space um, was so important. Yeah. And it's, I think, important to note that that is also like another uh, Southern California thing is like garages aren't really needed. So yeah. to park, well, to park cars in anyways. And so everybody, so everybody turns their garage usually into something else. Uh, we, my wife and I lived in Oceanside, California for almost mm -hmm. five years. And I think we parked in the garage, like maybe for the first month or so. Mm -hmm. And then like, it just became like storage. And it's like, that's where like the litter boxes were for the cats and right. you know all of that kind of stuff um and, and then yeah, when and I started we're working it was there too yeah yeah in Santa Cruz we get rain but not much else and so we have we have a driveway where the car lives now but like you we parked the car in the garage for a while and then we were like 
why yeah <laughs> with a small house like we need all the square footage we can get yeah yeah the same thing our our California house was uh close to a third of the size of the house we have uh now in the midwest um but you know it was a typical sized house for for where we lived but yeah that's why everybody turns their garages into a space of some kind right because you need that yeah like you said extra space um when you make that time for yourself and you go out there what are you likely to be making is there any one thing that you enjoy making the most I would say that my favorite thing to make is furniture at this point um like I, I went through a phase where I was making a lot of smaller things like cutting boards mm-hmm. and stuff like that and giving them away as gifts and and I enjoyed that a lot because there was um a lot of payoff for not as much time spent for me mm-hmm. um and when I don't have a ton of time like I still want that payoff but what I've found long-term is that if I can just exercise more patience than I want to at the beginning, <laughs> um, all of my favorite pieces have been furniture pieces. And so I would love to do more of that. One of the projects that I have in my mind that I haven't quite figured out in its entirety, like I haven't figured it out enough yet to start on it, but I really want to make a chair. Mm-hmm. And I keep psyching myself out about it because that has to function on a whole nother level, Mm -hmm. right? Like comfort and everything else. And so I haven't started it, but I have part of my process is to just have the idea in the back of my mind and play with it for a long time before it even gets on paper, let Mm -hmm. alone in wood. And so I know that's, that's on the horizon because of how much I've been enjoying making furniture. Mm -hmm. So up until now, has it been mostly like, uh, like table type pieces? Um, I've done, yeah, I would say table type pieces is probably a good way to put it. Um, I did do some outdoor chairs mm-hmm. that I like a lot. Um, they weren't my original design. They were inspired by something I saw online. Um, and then I just sort of made it up as I went along. But my, my goal in that's different for this future chair is that I want it to be indoor and my own original design. And that's where the extra time in my head comes in. <laughs> I, I completely get that. Personally, I have, I have the closest I have come to making a chair is uh, some carved bar stools, but the base, mm-hmm. you know, I purchased the metal base and then I just made the seat top. Uh, and so I didn't have to worry about necessarily the aspects of like does it stand does it like (laughs) not fall over you know that type Uh of that type of stuff so like you I have a chair in my future and it's going to be this year um I want to make a a carved uh chair and so uh my process because that has been scaring me I mean this is something I've been thinking about for at least two years Um, Mm -hmm. and I've had the wood for it for at least two years. Um, it's something that I'm just so nervous about. Uh, and so 
it will be inspired by other things I've seen. But what I did uh, just last week, I started the process of, I did a scaled down version. I cut like a smaller piece of, you know, of wood and I'm gonna try to just like physically work out my design in a mini scale, uh, which has my idea. which has my daughter thrilled because she's like, "Oh, I can use that in my miniature house." And I'm like, "Okay, right? sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's not the intent, but you can have it after I'm done, you know." But yeah, that's... even that has more functions than we would yes. expect. <laughs> but yeah, because I've struggled with I when it's something that's really been in my mind for a while. I do like to sketch it out, but I even struggle mm-hmm. with like again proportions and like uh will it stand if I do this or do that or you know um because somebody's going to be sitting in it and I don't want it to just like fall backwards the second somebody sits right (laughs) (laughs) uh what would you say is your kind of design aesthetic for pieces you make um if I had to name it and maybe this is aspirational <laughs> more than factual. <laughs> um, I, I like to think of it as like gentle modern, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Cause I'm really inspired by like mid-century modern mm-hmm. stuff, but I also find myself wanting to make it a little bit more gentle, a little bit more, um, the word that's coming to my mind is feminine. Mm-hmm. only because I I like to change the, the curve mm-hmm. of the more angular mid-century stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what that has meant is that I have to really work on my math skills. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's been interesting because angles are everything, right? Because mm-hmm. I find that when I do something like, for example, when I was doing commissioned work, everybody wanted farmhouse things. And I realized very quickly that farmhouse was as far from my style as I could get. And that was, as a maker, it's a little disappointing at first because farmhouse is right angles. And so that's, or usually, right? And so that's usually a lot easier to access in terms of knowing how to do it. Um, But I think that's part of what I like about the challenge of making things I love is that the things that I love are um, visually simplistic, but kind of complex. And so it gives me an opportunity to learn new stuff and play with things and make something that looks familiar style-wise, but is also new. Mm -hmm. Have you have you ever had a piece fail that you had to like redo (laughs) oh yeah oh many failures well one one thing that ended up being a fail that at first I was really devastated about but then I learned so much from it was I made an outdoor coffee table Mm -hmm. and I made it with super angular legs and I was so proud of it because it was just it wasn't like anything I had seen before I felt like it was really original and I was very proud of it and then one day here comes motherhood (laughs) back into the situation my daughter was um skipping around 
um, she does this thing where she kind of skips in circles and tells herself stories, right? And so she was doing that around the outdoor coffee table and she tripped and she fell on it and it just pancaked into the ground. <laughs> the, the legs just completely folded in on themselves. And I was so sad, but I also learned an incredibly valuable skill about, about how to do those angles in a more stable way. Mm -hmm. um, because if it doesn't have function, then the form is no good, right? Mm -hmm. And that was a really valuable learning experience for me. Today's sponsor is Rasp and File Designs. Rasp and File was created to give new life to old things and create spaces that feel timeless, unique, and warm. Your home and business should be your sanctuary, a place of solace, and your personal piece of art. The owner and woodworker behind Rasp and File Designs is Lauren Matthews, and you can follow along and find out more information on Instagram. Just look up Rasp filed designs or on the internet at rfdesigns.squarespace.com how do how do you like pick yourself up dust yourself back off after, after that well you know what i did i collected all of the pieces that have fallen apart and I put them lovingly in a little pile in the garage because <laughs> I was like, you will come back. I will resurrect you. Um, and then they gathered dust and I never did it. And I ended up just reusing the wood for other projects. And so it never got rebuilt. And I think part of the reason that I never rebuilt it was because I felt like I was already in a different era like that almost felt like past maker me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was ready to to do something new with it. And, and so that wasn't exactly a, a picking myself up thing as much as an honoring of, of the learning process. Mm -hmm. Thinking like that was, that was a beautiful thing that I made. And it didn't have staying power, but it propelled me in the direction of the next thing. And there was something about reusing the wood from that project in the next project that felt almost um, like a physical manifestation of that mm -hmm. mental shift, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. It does. I have, I have one piece that was one of my very early pieces before I had done any formal training or anything and still did not understand like how do you connect legs to a top like, I, just, I mean now it seems like well there's a bunch of different ways you can do that you know but at the time mm -hmm. I didn't really know and I had made I had found this really gorgeous walnut slab and turned it into a, a bench for like you know, out on the front porch type of thing. And um, it survived a really long time with the janky way that it was like put together <laughs> until like an electrician decided to stand on it to fix a bulb uh, out on our porch and it collapsed. It kind of did something oh, no. very similar to yours and, and it mm -hmm. broke apart. And I was like, oh, 
you know? <laughs> and so it's now in the shop uh, and it's collecting dust and it's, you know, disintegrated form where I also lovingly put it up on the shelf and like, you know, <laughs> good intentions, <laughs> good intentions. Um, and I do intend to, you know, make again with it, but something very similar in the sense of like, I look at it now and I'm like, besides the non-existent joinery that I had there for the legs to the, to the top of that bench, just like there's nothing about that that I would do that way again. And so it's like, but that is still a gorgeous piece of wood and it will still probably get reused in some other way, shape or form. Um, You know, but it is, it's interesting again, that progression, right. From where, (laughs) where we started to where we are now. Yeah. Absolutely. I mentioned before about the liking to have a physical manifestation of my labor, right? Mm -hmm. But when we have these fail moments, it's also a physical manifestation (laughs) of the failure. (laughs) And so that can be tough. Yes. But it's all part of the process. That's right. Um, What you, you, I want to circle back to like talking about working with your, your daughter, uh, with some of the pieces that she's, you know, wanted to make. Um, so she was young when you started this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, does she have any inkling like that this isn't necessarily that a ton of moms do? I think she knows. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how much she realizes mm-hmm. it. But there have definitely been been situations where she notices that people are surprised that I've made stuff. Mm -hmm. And like I make her teacher gifts and things like that too. And I Mm -hmm. think she realizes that that's uncommon. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be honest, I, I really like that about it. I think that one of the things I try to instill in her is that you can go your own way, right? Mm -hmm. You can just do the thing that feels right for your soul, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be the expected thing. And I, I see her picking up on that, right? I see her being able to do things her way. And she's, and I think a lot of kids do things their way all the time, but my daughter is very um, connected to the idea of, um, doing things right and being being good right mm-hmm. um, she's just always been that way and so I think for her it's a particularly valuable thing to see when I do making or anything else if I do something that is not the expected thing I think it's a really good lesson especially for um, daughters mm-hmm. right um, or female identifying kids I think we get so many messages about the right way to be. We mm-hmm. need all the deprogramming we can get. <laughs> it's tough, man. It's like everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, as I've progressed in my own uh, I guess like feminist ideology type of uh, you know, thinking and and an understanding of the world, now sometimes a show that like my kids would have watched a couple of years ago 
then did not click at all of the subliminal messages that are there. Mm-hmm. And now if they rewatch it, I'm like, oh my, please change it to something else. Like it's not like totally. what I want you to be picking up. And, and it's just so subtle, you know, mm-hmm. but it's there. And um, yeah. And so, yeah. Even I when totally, it's subtle, the fact that it's so pervasive makes it so big. So big. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did, what did your, the rest of your family, you know, your husband, your, your parents and such like think when they when you started this like woodworking journey everybody's always been really supportive I think um luckily I've I've managed to surround myself with people who accept that I'm going to do things my own way (laughs) um and so when I started I think um one thing that was influential is that my husband is a writer He's, he's a poet and him being a poet, he knows how important creativity is in someone's life. And he also appreciates, like when you think about poetry, you don't often think about men mm-hmm. historically, right? And being married to a male poet, I think has actually had, we talk about this sort of subtle messaging I think that's had subtle messaging on me in a positive way Mm -hmm. where I'm like you just you do the thing that feels right and regardless of what the rest of the world tells you either Mm -hmm. verbally or non-verbally right that's that's yeah that's interesting does that mean that there was a point in time based on outside messaging that you felt like you were odd I guess for wanting to do woodworking I've always felt a little odd (laughs) (laughs) um well you you asked about some childhood stuff earlier Mm -hmm. and I remember even as a kid I watched I don't know why this memory stuck with me but here it is I remember watching the movie Son-in-Law with Polly Shore Mm -hmm. and there was this scene where the grandfather was whittling wood on the front porch yep and I remember as a kid watching him whittle wood and go, oh, I really want to do that. But then it also immediately dismissing it as not a possibility. <laughs> and I remember growing up and seeing people at other schools having wood shop class and really wanting to do wood shop class. But I went to a girl's school and all we had was sewing. <laughs> and, I, and so I think things like that over time mm-hmm just made it seem like something that I had always wanted to do, but never had access to. Hmm. And so it's really incredible that I got to a place where I was able to um, embrace the thing I'd always kind of wanted to do Mm -hmm. and didn't even realize it. (laughs) It's funny you brought up that movie because, you know, I had a very similar experience. I was older when I saw it but similar experience of like that looks so cool but thinking yeah. like <laughs> that's not necessarily something I could do um yeah D- f- odd question but does the girl all girl school still there and do they still yeah. o- offer sewing yeah <laughs> <laughs> at least I assume so I don't think they're set up 
like their physical space would never allow woodshop and I also just would never expect it of them (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately unfortunately yeah yeah uh has there been any outside of family has there been any direct pressure about you being a woman and woodworking in a negative way at all Um, The only time that it has been a real issue is in the aisles of Home Depot, (laughs) right? Because I'm lucky enough living in Santa Cruz, it's hyper liberal. Mm -hmm. Um, We kind of do our own thing. It's like a little microcosm in a good way for me as someone Mm -hmm. who is is also that way. Um, But as soon as I walk into a hardware store, it gets pretty uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's also something that is momentary. But it's definitely a barrier. Mm-hmm. I avoid it sometimes because there are times when I don't want to go in and deal with other people's comments or gazes or anything like that. But I did have a really positive experience once where I was carrying this massive piece of wood down an aisle at Home Depot. And a mom had her little daughter with her and she stopped and the mom pointed at me and was like, look at how strong she is. And was like talking to her daughter and using me being there as a positive example. And that was just so touching for me. That Mm -hmm. felt really, really good. And so that sort of helped me feel a little better about the negative stuff. Yeah. I had I had a similar experience and my daughter was with me. We were we were at Lowe's and <clears throat> it was before the pandemic hit, but there was um three of us women uh kind of waiting in line. Uh we were gonna get some pieces, some lumber cut. Uh, you know, I was though I have the tools, I was like, no, I just want to save time and have them cut it for me. So I was in line and uh, the woman directly in front of us also had her daughter with us. And she kind of stopped and she looked to both sides, you know, women and and we both have our daughters. And she's like, how kick ass is this? That <laughs> All of us women are here to make projects you know, and then like our daughter started talking about what our moms make and stuff like that. And it was just like, it was a cool moment, you know? And I was like, yeah, like where there was no men in sight. It was like us Mm -hmm. women here, here buying our lumber to make something. And um, right. It almost feels like an act of resistance. Yeah, it does. Um, Well, we're actually, we're at the end of our time together, but I want to give you a chance to let everybody know how they can find you and follow along with your projects. See that chair that you're going to be making. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Instagram is the best way. My handle is morning glory woodshop because my woodshop is literally crawling with morning glories up the side. Um, And everything I do gets posted there. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me this morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, especially since it's super early there. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Worth it. The sun is coming up to the top of my wood shop right now. I can see it out the window. It's going to be a good day. There you go. (laughs) 
Okay, so again, that was Sarah of Morning Glory Woodshop. Uh, if you want to follow along with her, you can find the links on how to do that right in the description for this podcast episode on your favorite podcast app, or you can check out the show notes over at freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode and all of the other episodes uh, going on, please make sure to uh, remember to hit that subscribe button. Head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. That lets the algorithms know that not only do you enjoy the podcast, but others like you may enjoy it also. Also, please go check out uh, Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash makermompodcast. Check out the crew there. Uh, there's several different tier levels you can join up with over there and you know comes with a wide range of merchandise like stickers t-shirts coffee mugs all of the above and no matter what tier you choose you get access to additional content uh, which includes this year uh, access to hopping on a interview while I'm doing it. So if you're a patron, I would send out the Zoom link. You can hop on and listen while I do the interview live there and uh, also get a chance to ask your questions of that maker after we're done recording. So a little extra perk if you're if you're a patron. Uh, so if that sounds something like you might enjoy or you just overall want to support the podcast, go check that out. All right, when I'm not making podcasts, you can find me uh, designing and making furniture and other home decor and occasionally dancing at freemanfurnishings.com and at freemanfurnishings across all the social media like YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, <clears throat> you name it, pretty much on it as Freeman Furnishings. I'm most active like on a daily basis on TikTok and Instagram. So if you want to see what shenanigans I am up to daily, weekly, monthly, that's where you can find me. So find me there, Freeman Furnishings. Follow along. Let me know that you found me through the podcast. Love hearing that. And um, it's Friday. So let's all have a good weekend. Spring is just around the corner. I know I'm feeling great. This week has been semi warm in Iowa. We haven't seen that in a while. So um, hope you have a great weekend. Get out, enjoy the great outdoors, get out and make something, and I will see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Music